Uh, turn your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter four, uh, chapter 1. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at the first four verses. And uh, while we're turning there, I just want to remind you that today is actually the last opportunity for you to sign up to go on the Honduras trip. If you're thinking at all, maybe God's speaking to you like, maybe what, maybe I should go this next year. We're going to go in April. But we're asking the deadlines today because we just got a lot to prepare for. So uh, if, if we're going to be building a house for a family. Uh, we go every year, and it's, uh, it's always an amazing, great time together. Uh, we're going to build a house for a family. We have a dentist going with us, going to do some dental work. So if you're into, you know, the dental assistant, dentist, uh, uh, doctor, nurse, whatever, uh, or a constructor, like to swing a hammer, want to help build a house, love to have you join us. And so uh, Gina Calzada will be out in the, the Connection Center after the service. You can go on out there, talk to her, uh, get more details, or, or look me up, and then I'll direct you to Gina. And uh, just be aware, today is the day to actually get into deposit to make that happen. Also, I just want to say thank you to all of you who participated in the Angel Tree. It was absolutely fantastic that we were able to help 21 families, 21 families where we bought Christmas presents for them and their children, 103 people with over 375 gifts. Thanks to you, there's going to be some families, some kids who are going to receive some gifts this Christmas who may otherwise not have had any. So go ahead and give yourself a hand. I want, want to thank you. Uh, I know one of the families had a fire uh, in their home and, and, and all the, the, the challenges to go with that. Another had a job loss. And so uh, you're really helping people. Jennifer Johnson and Michelle Minto want to give them special thanks. They were in the first service and I had, yes, they were in the first service. I had them stand and we had fun embarrassing those two ladies. So it's, uh, uh, but really, uh, if, if you know Jennifer and Michelle, please send them a thank you uh, for all of their amazing hard work in making that happen. So uh, this past Tuesday, our, our life group had our Christmas party and uh, we met at Ken and Sherry Coxon's house, and they're always such great hosts. And uh, we, we just had a great uh, Christmas party together. We played Bunko. How many of you played Bunko? It, it's, it's one of those great mixing games, you know, where you go from table to table. table and uh, and, and it, it's really a fun game, although it was kind of stupid because I didn't win. But, uh, but uh, we, we had food, and we had uh, just, just a lot of great fun together. And Sandy and I, we were talking to to one of the groups, and somehow we got on t telling a story about our daughter, Carrie, who's 34 years old now and married, has family and all. But, but when she was like four or five years old, and we lived back in, in Milwaukee, I was a pastor in Milwaukee for like seven years, and uh, we, we used to have unity services with some of the congregations around Milwaukee. And one of them was an African-American uh, congregation, and I knew the pastor, Sandy Johnson, I was like 28 years old at the time. He was like maybe four, uh, like 65. And then I started thinking about it. I think, no, he's probably like 43. But when you're, when you're 28, you know, everybody else looks old. You know, you remember how that, how that is? And, uh, and so we were, we were good friends, and we were having a unity service that was coming up. So at about this same time, our daughter Carrie, she's four or five years old, uh, somehow, you know how you get on these conversations, and somehow we started talking about alcohol. And she asked us, you know, what is alcohol? And, and why don't we drink alcohol? Because it's just been a personal conviction. Sandy and I, we don't drink. And, try, you know, well, why? And we, we were having, you know, some of these little conversations as much as you can when, when they're four or five. So what does it mean to be drunk? And, well, you know, when, when a person gets drunk, they, 
they act differently. They, they maybe even kind of do some crazy things. And so we had this conversation. And then and somewhere in that period of time, we go to this unity service. And, and we're, we're attending this African-American congregation. And, and, and I know some of, a lot of the people there, in fact. And we're sitting on the, on the second row, actually. Me and Sandy and Corey and Carrie. They're like four or five years old. And the choir comes out. And, and uh, the, the uh, African-American choir, I mean, they have their robes on. And they, they are this... They are singing and they are shouting hallelujah and praise the Lord. And they're just, just going on. And all of a sudden, Carrie jumps into Sandy's lap and says, Mommy, they've been drinking beer. And we're like, shh, 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 shh. No, 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 no. They're just praising the Lord. They're just having a good time. They're, they're not drunk. So you know, we, had, we, had, we, we had to laugh about it. We had, we had to do a better job of explaining, I guess, what it means to be drunk. So... That really has nothing to do with the sermon today. thought I would just kind of, but uh, no, actually it does because we're talking about the meaning of Christmas. What, what, what does Christmas mean and how do you explain the meaning of it? This is why I have, have us turning to 1 John, the first four verses. Because here in 1 John, we get a great description on what Christmas means. If you want to know what actually happened, you don't want to look at these verses. You want to actually go over to the first couple chapters of Matthew or the first couple chapters of Luke. Matthew and Luke will tell you what happened. That's there you'll read the Christmas stories of, you know, the wise men, the shepherds, the angels, baby in a manger. You'll, you'll find out what happened that first Christmas in Matthew and Luke. They don't really tell you a whole lot, although there's many clues in there. Uh, they're just there to tell you what happened. They're not going to really tell you what, what it means. But here in 1 John, John doesn't tell you so much what happened, but he tells you what Christmas means. See, it, it's very easy at Christmas time to actually not think about what Christmas means. And, and, and I'm so much like you. It's easy for me to become nostalgic and sentimental at Christmas time. Uh, I think of my childhood Christmases. I think, especially this time of year, about my mother who passed away right about this time before Christmas. And, and, and I'm sure you, you have maybe some loved ones who've passed away. And so Christmas time maybe had some bad memories, some sorrowful memories, some great memories. And uh, you can just kind of be nostalgic and warm and fuzzy and sentimental or, and, and, and all of those kinds of things. And you have to buy presents for people and you're so busy and you get so distracted that all of a sudden you find Christmas time has gone by and you haven't really reflected on what it means, what Christmas actually means. So when the Bible talks about the birth of Christ, the Son of God coming into the world, Born as a human being in the manger, what does that mean? John tells us. Let's read it. Listen as I read it here. First John, the first chapter, beginning in the first verse. The Apostle John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. 
And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Do you see several things in here that John is telling us that Christmas means? I want to highlight three. Three things that Christmas means. First of all, Christmas means that Jesus was an actual historical person. Jesus was an actual historical. He was an actual person in history. He was an actual person in history. Notice notice how he puts it here. He's claiming to have accurate historical knowledge. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it. He's emphasizing this, repeating himself. We've seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. John just keeps saying, Christmas really happened. Jesus was born. He was a real human being. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a psychological metaphor. This is history. This really happened. You know, some people try to say, you know, it doesn't matter to me if Jesus existed or not. I don't really care. What matters is the Sermon on the Mount. What matters is the teaching, the wisdom, the advice. And whether it was Jesus or some other person or even a community of people, however it came about, it's, it's, that, it's that teaching, it's that wisdom, it's that good advice for living that, that I find it so helpful in my life. Because you see, I have these psychological needs, these emotional needs, these spiritual needs, these relational needs. And I find that in reading these teachings that purport to be from Jesus, that I, I find them just so helpful. They help me deal with my anxiety and they, they help me deal with my fear and my sense of identity and, and just good advice for life. That's what's important. And so I don't really care if Jesus existed or not. And that sounds so plausible. And it may actually apply to some religions. For example, you can follow the ethics of Confucianism without any concern whether Confucius actually lived or not. Because at the heart of Confucianism is is the ethics, the teachings, the morality of it all. Confucius is not the center of Confucius. He just happens to be the guy who supposedly said all these and taught all this. The same thing's true with Plato or Socrates. But you cannot do that with Jesus. You say, Greg, why not? Why can't I just follow the teachings of Jesus, at least some of it, the parts that I like, the parts that I resonate with? If it works, it works. If it's helpful, it's helpful. Well, the reason you can't do that, and, and... you can do that, of course, if you want to. But you, if you do that, you're not really being honest with the evidence. You're, you're not really being logical. You're not being fair with what the New Testament actually has to say. So, you know, you can do that if you want, but, it, but 
you're not being fair with the evidence because to do that, you have to ignore the, the real essence of Christianity. You have to ignore the fundamental message that it's trying to say. Because repeatedly throughout the New Testament, you have the apostles saying exactly what John says here. We've seen him. We've heard him. We've touched him. This really happened. Well, one of the classic scholars writing about the authenticity of the New Testament was F.F. F. Bruce. He was a world-class scholar, wrote many books, and one of the books he wrote was called The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? And F.F. F. Bruce asks this question, does it even matter if they're reliable? Does it even matter if Jesus existed? And here's what he says. The Christian gospel is not primarily a code of ethics or a metaphysical system. It is first and foremost good news. And as such, it was proclaimed by its earliest preachers. And this good news is intimately bound up with the historical order. For it tells how for the world's redemption, God entered into history, the eternal came into time, the kingdom of heaven invaded the realm of earth, in the great events of the incarnation, the crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ. Christianity has its roots in history. This historical once-for-allness of Christianity makes the reliability of the writings which purport to record this revelation a question of first-rate importance. So maybe... You're here today, and you thought Christmas was just a, a feel-good myth. It's some nice feel-good stories, you know. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. We have the virgin, and we have the child, and we have the wise man, baby in a manger. Just kind of feel-good stories. Or maybe you haven't even thought much about it at all. And what I want you to, to see here is that Christmas is history. It happened. It's real. So shouldn't you at least check it out and see what it's about? Which leads us to the second thing that Christmas means. The first thing is that it means Jesus was an actual person in history. The second thing it means is that salvation is by grace. Salvation is by grace. Do you notice how John talks about Jesus here? He calls Jesus the, the word of life. Look at the end of, of verse 1. He says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. He calls Jesus the word of life. Do you remember how John, so it's the Apostle John writing first, the second, and third John, these letters. But he also wrote the Gospel of John. And you remember how he put it in that first chapter of the Gospel of John? He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus is called the Word. And that's a rich concept. 
And, and it means a, a variety of things, actually. And John used it very intentionally. But think, the, the word, when you speak a word, it goes out and it's a communication. How do you know who I am? How do you know what I think? Through my words. And so Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. And here he's saying he's the word of life. So, so Jesus is the communication of God. You want to know who God is, you got to listen to Jesus, because he's the word, he's the message, the communication, the embodiment of God. So here he's called the word of life. But look more carefully. It says this word of life was with the Father from the beginning. And in verse 2 it says, the life appeared. And we have seen and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father. So notice what he's saying and what he's not saying. He's not saying... We're not told here that Jesus Christ has life or that he gives life. What he's saying here is he is life. The life appeared, he says. We've seen it, and now we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. See, Christmas is about the life appearing. And this is what makes Christianity different from all other religions. In every other religion, have you ever realized this? In every other religion, there's, there's usually a founder or a sage, someone who got it all started, and the founder will say something like this, I have discovered how to live life, and I've discovered here's a way for you to find life. What you need to do is you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do that, and that and this. And if you do all of this and that, and you do it well enough, then, then you, you might become one with God or one with infinity and, or find eternal life or whatever, whatever their version of it is. You see? In every other religion, you have to be your own savior. You have to earn it. You have to be good enough. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do that. And Jesus, on the other hand, did not come to show you how you can save yourself. He came to be your Savior. Jesus says, remember in John 14, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus didn't come to say, well, hey, you know, I'm a nice teacher. I'm a good prophet. And I kind of want to show you the way and, and I'll teach you some truths. And hopefully, you know, if you can do this and this and that and that, then, then maybe, maybe you'll be good enough. And maybe you can have life. And No, no. Jesus came and he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. See, Jesus didn't come to give us some advice on how to self-improve. He didn't come to show us how we can save ourselves. Jesus Christ, according to Christmas, is God himself come to save us, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. See, to know him is eternal life. It's not like he comes to you and, and you follow him and you do the things he says you should do and you live a, a good life and then and then God blesses you and saves you. No, no, no. He is the life. And so I ask you, are, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of trying to be your own savior? 
Some of you are living lives of fear and anxiety and insecurity because you feel like you're just being never quite good enough. And then maybe some of you are full of pride and disdain for other people because you feel like you have been good enough. What's wrong with these other people? See, that's always what happens when you're trying to be your own savior. You're either full of devastation and self-loathing because you, 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 you don't feel like you're being good enough. Or you might hit a little season where you feel you are being good enough, and that just makes you proud and disdainful towards other people. And in either way, you're, you're still so insecure, and you're, on the one hand, you're crushed and you self-loathe, and then on the other hand, you're, you're so insecure because what, what if you mess up tomorrow and you won't be good enough? And so you go through this cycle, this up and down, insecure and anxious and unhappy. Aren't you tired of trying to be your own savior? Christmas is about the Savior who came to save you. So stop trying to look good. Oh, I got to look good. I got to impress people. I'm worried about what everybody thinks about me. Stop trying to, to even feel good. Oh, life is just all about me feeling good. Oh, I got to feel good. I got to look good. Got to feel good. Got to do good. Got to be good. And, and, and behind all that is a mentality. Is if, if I can do all that, then people will look at me and go, wow, what, what a great guy. What a great gal. Look at, look at them. And, and maybe even God will say, yeah, they're, they're pretty good. They've lived a good life. See, that's a dead end. There's no life there. Let the word of life come in. Let him be your savior. And the only thing he asks you to do is to take him in. To believe in him. Receive him as your savior. I encourage you to read the rest of 1 John this afternoon. Short little book. You can do it in probably a matter of minutes. But it's very powerful. Maybe even read through it two or three times. And notice how John goes on to say that when we believe in Jesus and receive him, we receive his life. And because he is the life, and now we have him, the life, in us, he begins to transform our lives. It's like he resurrects us from the dead. Here we are. We're really spiritually dead, and we're trying to have life. And it just doesn't work. So we receive him and let him save us. And now we have his life. And he revives our life. And John talks about the life a lot in, in his letter. He talks about the light. You can start walking in his light. So there's real transformation. And you really start to live a better life. And you do more good. And you are a better person. But it's not like you're your own savior. Or you're trying to earn it. But it's because now you have the life in you. You have a savior in you. And he's shining his light, and now you can walk in his light. So, you see, stop trying to be your own savior. Stop trying to be your own light in your own life. You can't pull it off. You need him. And then here's the, here's the third, the third life-changing truth. You can have fellowship with God. You can. This is what John says. So Christmas means that Jesus was an actual person in history who came to save you by grace, and he offers you fellowship with God. Look at how John put it in verse 3 and 4. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, 
so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So notice, on the one hand, Christmas is objective. Jesus is an actual person in history. This happened. This is real. This is true. Whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, it's objective. It's there. It happened. But the only way you will experience life change is to make that objective truth subjective in you. You've got to take that objective truth and make it personal. Have you made Christmas personal? Have you received Christ as your Savior and your Lord? Stop trying to be your own Savior. Do you have fellowship with God? We don't use the word fellowship much anymore, but it, it, it means deep, intimate friendship. It's an experience. So God isn't just out there. He isn't just a metaphor. He isn't just ancient history. He's now in here. And you know him. And you experience him. And he says, John says, I'm telling you all this so that we can have fellowship with each other and with God. I'm telling you this so that we can experience joy. And oh, don't we all need a little more joy? <laughs> 